0: Hey, this is Ryan. Happy to have you on. I have a special guest. I have Eric Westerkamp, who is the CEO of CaliberMind. And one of the cool things he talks about is the forcing function that the battle between Apple and Meta or Facebook is having on revenue data and how leaders in the space are adapting. He also talks about the biggest mistakes CEOs are making with their data and how to leverage machine learning appropriately. Anyways, you're not going to want to miss this. Check it out. How do you grow like a VC-backed company without taking on investors? Do you want to create a lifestyle business, a performance business, or an empire? How do you scale to an exit without losing your freedom? Those are the questions, and this show is the answer. Welcome, everybody, to The Scale Up Show. This is your host, Ryan Staley, and I have a very special guest with me today. I have Eric Westerkamp. Eric is the CEO of CaliberMine. Which is a leading B two B platform for revenue insights. On top of it, he takes a really data driven leadership approach and actually gave Caliber Mind its North Star and um, has a lifetime within sales and growing revenue organizations in a very very entrepreneurial fashion. Eric, welcome, man! Happy to have you on the show.
1: Yeah, thanks. I'm uh, you know really happy to be here and thanks for inviting me.
0: Yeah. So. I'd love to get like kind of catch people up, talk about where you're at, but let's do a real quick revenue run now, just to give us some context on where you're at in terms of the journey. So, where are you at in terms of revenue range for your ARR?
1: You know, we don't. We're, <clears throat> excuse me, we're a private company. We don't really give out the exact revenue. What I can say is that we grew the company about three hundred percent last year. Nice. Uh, this year, we're planning on doubling the company. And next year, trying to get it into that sort of like north of eight figures kind of range from an ARR perspective.
0: Nice. Awesome. So, I mean, that's, that's fantastic growth projections, if you will. Um, what's your primary go-to-market strategy for revenue growth?
1: Yeah, I mean, so we focus primarily on high-tech companies, kind of tech-enabled service companies, hardware, you know, B2B exclusively. Organizations that have um, marketing pieces of our company that are really focused on understanding what the data is telling their marketing and revenue teams and how that data can help them really kind of like, you know, move the needle. How do we increase conversion rates? How do we increase our growth? How do we generate more leads? These types of things.
0: Okay. And how do you, how do you actually manufacture revenue growth in your team? Is it like a sales driven approach, marketing slash sales, product led growth, I guess, like what's the, uh, the primary motion?
1: Yeah, I mean, so it's uh, a more standard kind of marketing to sales handoff, right? So we've got my okay. marketing team led by Kamala Thompson. You know, she's got a team that are doing um, a combination. Like we do our own webinars, we do a lot of podcasts ourselves. If you've ever looked at Kamala's LinkedIn, you'll see she's got a lot of posts that. She's got her feisty Fridays where she talks about something she doesn't like about the, you know, the marketing tech landscape, things like that. And Mondays, she talks about things that she does like. Um, we use a lot of that combined with, a, with kind of a content strategy on the web to kind of drive people to our website and drive people to get engaged. Because of the nature of our software, we have the ability to really understand, like, when people are coming, what they're doing, how things are working. We drive that through a, you know, standard, you know, kind of awareness to MQL process. Um, I've got a BDR team. The BDRs will do a lot of outreach, also trying to drive people in, uh, at which point in time my sales team picks up. And the sales team has a relatively standard, I'd say, enterprise sales motion. They're getting the leads in, they're reaching out, demo, qualification at the beginning. Um, Our sales cycle is probably closer to 45 to 90 days. So it's a number of meetings. um, Because our system is very, um, gets access to a lot of our customers' data. There's a pretty mm-hmm. intensive process that we have to go through. Like we just finished off our SOC 2 audit, for instance, specifically because we have a lot of our customers' data in the platform and system.
0: Okay, gotcha. Uh-huh. Totally makes sense. So I think that's good. And I know you you hit on what you guys do, but can you give like a real brief description of like your solution and just kind of like the outcomes it creates?
1: Yeah. I mean, at the end of the day, what CalvinMine does is we try to help like CMOs and CROs specifically for B2B organizations Like, understand what do they need to do to move the needle, right? So we're giving them insights on exactly what is and isn't working kind of across their sales and marketing tactics. Um, One way to think about it is, like, imagine if a CMO had their own, like, dedicated data science team, like, Mm -hmm. in a box, delivering insights to them, like, every week on exactly what's, you know, is and isn't working. That's kind of what CalendarMind delivers.
0: Okay, awesome. Love it. And then how large is your team?
1: Uh, God, we've been growing really fast. I think we're at about 35 people now headed toward 40 right now.
0: Okay. Excellent. And then are you bootstrapped or funded? We are funded. Okay. Are you in a certain round phase or early? We phase?
1: Yeah. We just finished our a round last March.
0: Oh, congratulations. Okay. That's a, that's a big event. So hard to get that funding, especially, well, I guess you did it in this year. So yeah,
1: right before things started to get a little wonky. Yeah.
0: <laughs> we'll kick okay, so. your ass and get that one uh, across the finish line before uh, stuff got a little more complicated. I'm sure it wasn't easy at it anyways, but um, yeah. so let's get your background real quick. Like how you got here, what was your journey along the way? And then, you know, kind of what are some of the biggest challenges that you experienced on your way here?
1: Um. I started off in computer science, so I have a degree in computer science, Virginia Tech. Uh, You know, originally I envisioned my career was going to be, you know, computer science, CTO, stay on the tech side. Um, I moved to Colorado pretty early on, um, and when I moved here, I worked for an organization called MCI, some people may remember them, and I got involved very quickly with Java and some of the Java technologies, almost prior to it kind of really getting the explosive growth it did. That gave me access to some people and resources that allowed me to start my first company. Um, You know, I was super young. I was starting a company um, out of Colorado, not out of Silicon Valley, a little bit harder. And a lot of the challenges I ran into were I knew everything about the tech side. I knew nothing about sales and marketing, Mm. you know, and I realized very quickly that the only way for the company to be successful was for us to understand, like, how do we market it? How do we sell it? We built a you know web based document management product at the time, and so I I say that was my biggest challenge was kind of transitioning from tech to sales and marketing, right? Mm-hmm. It remained okay. the sales side at the time. Like understanding like how what's what what is a value proposition? You know how do you pitch the value proposition? Who you know understanding who are you selling to and why? Like. Yeah. what problem do they have that you're trying to solve and can you do it and do they care about the problem? Like understanding some of those questions, right? And making that, um, that kind of movement. Um, I eventually sold Quickstream, uh, to EasyLink Services, a public company, joined their team, ran their product management group. Then I ran channel sales for them. We grew that to 250 million or something like that by the time we sold it and sold that up to a company called OpenText. I took over a direct sales division.
0: And then you went and started, or I should say, got recruited to come here, correct?
1: Uh, No, then I went to a kind of a private equity thing for a little, for a small time where we rolled up, like it was like seven different companies in the sales and marketing organizations. And then I came over to Calabrine.
0: Okay. Excellent, man. Well, that's, that's a great story. And not, not very many I've heard made the transition from the tech side to the sales and marketing side. So Kudos to you for making that happen. That's, uh, I mean, to- totally different skill sets, right? That you need to yeah. make that a reality.
1: Yeah, it, it really is. Um, but I would recommend anybody who's on the tech side that's becoming an entrepreneur to really figure out how to get those sales and marketing skills. They're, they're crucial, right? They're yeah. what makes and breaks a company at the end of the day.
0: Awesome. Well, so let's shift gears a little bit. Like, that's that's a great backdrop and, and kind of how we got here in where you're at now, you know, one of the things that I see that, that you guys are involved in as an organization is, is specifically the RevOps space, right? And which, it's so it's so interesting. I was just at Saster last yeah. week and there's like polarization. There's either people that know what RevOps is and are completely in the middle and in the thick of it, or people that have no clue what it is even like you know no. what I mean? So yeah. it's kind of like two two different worlds. So, you know, I like. What are you seeing happening in the RevOps space, specifically with like AI or machine learning?
1: You know, I think the, the big challenge we're seeing is revenue operations is really trying to understand and take over that whole revenue cycle, right? So it's everything from marketing, even all the way through customer success sometimes, but it's like, what does the customer journey look like? And how do I manage that journey, right? And that's, and, and I think more and more companies, are becoming aware that they need to make like they've they've had these sort of siloed teams. They had marketing, then you had sales, and you had customer success. They've been very siloed, and they're realizing that to really maximize their revenue growth, they got to run it as a as a revenue cycle. As RevOps teams start to get in there, one of the biggest problems they realize is like, okay, so the so this cycle is being run. I think I read a stat where they said the average enterprise organization has ninety systems they use to communicate and manage the data. Across their, custom, across their prospects and customers, right? Wow. So now imagine you're a RevOps team and you're trying to figure out like, what's going on? Like, what here triggers what over here? What signals tell me that a customer is ready for an upsell? What signals tell me that a customer, you know, that somebody's getting aware of my product and needs to and is ready to buy something, right? What's pulling all that data together? And it's been a real challenge for a lot of companies. What I've seen organizations do often is they then hide, they go in, they say, they grab their data science team, they pull them in and they plop them down and say, okay, pull all this data together and drop it into BigQuery, AWS, Snowflake, something. Plug Tableau or Looker on it and give me the, give me the insights now. And they'll do this. And depending on the sophistication of the data science team, they'll get different levels of success, right? Because what they find out is that the challenge is, you know, how do you match an ad click on LinkedIn, right, to a data record in Salesforce, Right? How do you then match that same thing to a to a you know to somebody using Sales loft and sending out outbound emails? How do you stitch mm-hmm. all that data together? And it becomes really difficult. And then those teams realize, oh, you know what? The marketing team just switched platforms twice on me in the middle of me kind of you know building up this project. Right? We're we're, we're migrating from this pl-. so they're constantly changing the information, the data, the data feeds, and all of that. Right. So it becomes really challenging for them.
0: Okay. Yeah, I, I can see that. I think. Um... So what you're saying is basically like those, those cloud platforms, like or you're basically the data lakes or whatever you want to call it. <laughs> um, like with the snowflakes and AWS, Is it, it all depends on whether or not they could execute based on the data science, scientists, I should say, level of expertise. And it's probably challenging, I would think, because the functional expertise has got to be pretty tight it's for really them to hard. understand and rank yeah. like how all this correlates and interrelates together.
1: Yeah, I'll give an example, like a data science team, you know, they may know the data science, the machine learning really well, but some will say, well, I want you to build an attribution model. And, and they may not even understand, like the difference between, you know, campaigns, campaign types, channels, programs, they, like they don't understand even the verbiage that's being used. Yeah. They start getting these giant data feeds so and they have to turn that into meaningful results over here. It's really challenging for them often.
0: Oh, well, yeah, I can imagine. So that makes a lot of sense in terms of how to leverage that, I guess, what, what trends are you seeing in the space then right now with folks data, when it, when it comes to the revenue side of the house and um, what are you seeing?
1: You know, on the, on the top of the funnel side, we're seeing that things like, um, you know, all of this stuff going on between like first party cookies and third party cookies, and are they going to survive and what's going to happen? That's actually driving a lot of change into a lot of organizations. What companies are realizing is that a lot of B2B companies have really relied on third-party data, third-party cookies to sort of drive their lead engine, right? And it's starting to it's starting to drop off and not work, mm-hmm. you know? And because of that, they're, they're, they're starting to look deeper down their funnel, like, well, how do I make changes and what do I do down here to make up for the fact that my lead quality, my conversion rates are going down because, you know, because Safari just turned off the ability for me to even see any of the users, right? That's right. yeah, going to happen to Chrome. It's going to happen to you know as that progresses, that data is just disappearing. And so, what they're really starting to do is they're starting to look to their first party data. Okay, I really need to get on top of like what do I know about my customers? Like who are they? What are their trends? What are the activities? And 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 they're starting to realize like I don't really have a good grasp of what that is. That whole the whole buyer journey, the whole you know kind of process life cycle, right? The other trend we're seeing is that. You know, um, organizations are really trying to figure out how do you start to use, like move toward like buyer groups, you know, as opposed to just an individual lead kind of moving through their system, especially when you're dealing with B2B. B2B Mm -hmm. buying processes are becoming more complicated. There's more people involved, right? Um, And tracking that is really hard. Everything has to date has typically been built around like one person kind of moving through this flow. And if I know where that person is, I can go from like move them down the funnel and get to a sale. But the reality is that that's just how it works, right? This one person may drop out. Three people may come in. Two of them leave the company. Right? It's a whole process with a lot of people involved. People are trying to figure out how do I manage that, you know, in today's world. I've got all these data points and touch points, but what do I do about it?
0: Hmm. Okay. That makes sense. So how do, you, how do you execute on that? Like how do you manage and look at it at the group data? I think... You know, what you're saying makes a lot of sense with the third-party yeah. data versus first-party data. So what do you think is the uh, the key element to do that?
1: I mean, for CalibreMind, that's what our platform is helping a lot of organizations do, right? So I see it happening in a lot of different ways. Um, the way we do it for customers is that, you know, we grab all this data from all their platforms. We can see everything from the ad platforms to Salesforce to Marketo to whatever they're using. We pull that data together you have to have a lot of logic that understands how to like stitch that data together. Right. If you think about it, there's all these events and touch points, right? Somebody opened an email, somebody touched a website, somebody right. How do you stitch them together? And then how do you track that along with the buying group? Right. And so like a challenge that Salesforce has is Salesforce is really lead centric. You have a lead object, you have a contact object, an opportunity object an account object. Right. Um, it's really hard to track the buying group there, right? So one of the things that we've done is we've extracted that and created the concept of sort of like a a funnel object, funnel member that tracks all the data across the systems and you can kind of push it through the systems and pull together that buyer journey at the end. I see a lot of companies doing that, a product like Calvermind, you see them trying to do it with a data warehouse, trying to build solutions. You see a lot of people trying to kind of build that solution out using a lot of different kind of pieces that they kind of plug together.
0: Yeah, totally makes sense. Um, so I, I guess when you're looking at like, I mean, ballpark, and you, how many customers do you guys have, or how how many interactions have you seen like all these data sets across?
1: How many interactions, like how many touch points?
0: Well, I guess how many customers, right? Or how many? I'm trying to understand. Oh, we got, you know,
1: we're sort of like 60 to 100 customers on our okay. platform right now.
0: Yeah, it's still a great deal. Like, so let me ask you this: like, so of the trends, like, of the companies that are doing it the best you know, yeah. that, that you work with, what are, what's the patterns that you recognize that, and what I mean, doing the best in terms of like looking at things holistically to drive a result, yeah. right? Like what's the pattern that they're doing to make that a reality?
1: You know, what I'm seeing as a best practice is that the, first of all, the organizations have to make the decision to become data-driven, right? Mm-hmm. Understand, like use the data to drive what they're doing. A lot of marketing companies and a lot of marketing, there's not data-driven. Right. Once they make that decision and that's another trend I'm seeing is that we're seeing that more and more, a lot of it's because you've got sort of a new generation of, of people coming into these roles that, you know, have grown up that way. Right. They're much more comfortable, these tools, once it became data driven, they have to make the decision like, well, um, how do I get that data? How do I get a set of data that's meaningful to me? Right. How do I pull this together and get the data into something that I can use? Right. And then it's really understanding what questions do I want to ask? -hmm. And I'll be honest, that's often the hardest part is they figure if I just get all the data together and put a bunch of reports on it, I can do something with it. But they're not really drilling and saying, like, well, what decisions do I want to make? What levers am I trying to pull? Um, A good one that comes up a lot is marketing attribution, right? I'll be honest, um, we have never ending debates from our organization. It was like, does attribution even work? Right. But at the end of the day, it's like attribution is a tool. That gives you insights based on the data you have to help you make decisions. And as long as you view it in that lens of like, without it, I've got nothing with it. At least I've got some understanding. And it's a way of like rank stacking marketing campaigns and activities and tactics. So you can start to make decisions around like, which ones are working better than others. I'm putting a bunch of money at some, am I getting a return on that investment? Because if I take that money and put it over here, what I get a better outcome. Right? You need to be able to make those decisions, you need to put in tools to do that. Attribution is one way of doing that on sort of the marketing campaign level. But its challenge is that it tends to be very backward-looking, right? You have to already have opportunities and revenue in there to be able to make those decisions. Uh, but it is one tool that we're starting to see best practice, best practice teams start to use in that way. Um, others is that we're starting to see people use more holistic um, like engagement scoring, cross-system engagement scoring to like monitor accounts moving through their buyer journey and understand like how engaged are these accounts and are they ready based upon certain uh, factors that we're seeing in the system for my sales team to engage, for instance, right? Um, you can use machine learning to do that. You can use discrete math, however you want to do it. But companies are starting to try to figure out how, to, how do I put that together? And the last thing I'm seeing is like companies that are really getting invested, they're trying to figure out like at the end of the day, once I see a bunch of companies move through a process how do i extract up the buyer journey like the journey that's like if you think about it you've got all these different journeys happening across all your customers which ones tend to be in the middle which ones tend to be outliers which ones are really tend to go faster and are you know on this side of the curve and which ones are on this side of the curve what are those anomalies and how do i visualize that
0: i like it i like it so it makes a lot of sense so micosuer should say cross system engagement scoring um, extract up the buyer journey. And then I, I like the other thing that you mentioned, and this is my just interpretation of it. So you didn't say exactly this way, but ability to stack rank campaigns in terms of like where you spend your, your money um, in a dollars and cents way. Right. And how to compare yeah. and then take yeah. out, to subtract. Right. So yeah. uh, I think that's, that's really good. Great insights uh, for that. Just because of the fact that, yeah, there's, I mean, and, What's happening? We got social media, you got live events, you got organic, you got paid, you got outbound, you got SDR. I mean, there's just so many different areas. So many, so many touch points. So, we had an interesting, okay, well, uh, go ahead. What were you going to say?
1: I'll say so. We had an interesting experience even looking at our own data where we, were, we put our system in place and we started looking at um, how personas mapped across time during those buyer journeys. And we had been selling primarily to marketing operations, revenue operations, you know, director, VP level, that was sort of our target. And when we put together our map, we're like, about 90 days, 45 to 90 days before those interactions, we saw this giant spike with CMOs and CROs. And what we realized what was happening really was the CMOs or the CROs are actually coming to our website. They were looking at data. They were downloading some webinars and content, something like that, and they were going away. And then 45 or 90 days later, somebody at their company would show up and actually like do a demo or do something like that. So we actually, redid, did, we're actually still in the process of it, redoing a lot of our high level messaging on the website to be more, to be higher level, to be honest, to attract and be more of that, like, okay, what is the core problem of solving? Because Different personas are really looking to solve different problems, right? Even with the same product. You know, so how do we get the messaging up higher? How do we attract them a little bit earlier and have a really good pass so when these other people come in, they can really find the more detailed data they're looking for quickly, right? And the result is we are starting to see, you know, already starting to see higher conversion rates on the website.
0: That's awesome. Well, we're just about up on time, Eric. So I guess like my last question for you is, where do you see the future of tech going over the next three to five years? And then we'll wrap it up.
1: Tech in general, that's really broad. Um, What
0: I'll say is SAS
1: and 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 stuff, you know, we're going to see more and more, um, I'll call it applied machine learning, right? People are just starting to figure out how to actually use machine learning and algorithms in this data in ways that moved a needle. I think we've seen a lot of people that threw machine learning out there to put a machine learning tag on something and it did something, but it wasn't clear that it was doing something helpful. And I think that people are starting to figure out how to leverage that data and that information and the algorithms to actually help them make decisions, right? Machine learning is really good at picking out patterns, right? What is a pattern? What's like groupings and patterns? And people are starting to figure out like, how do I use that to then give me insights I can make decisions off of? I think the next wave of apps you're going to see, you know, we're one of them and there's others out there, are apps that are really much more focused on using the machine learning to help support and answer very specific questions for, you know, in our case, CMOs and CROs, but other C-level organizations and getting to the root of like, why? And then they're going to become, um, they're going to have the ability to look and see like, why is the algorithm making that decision? Because if you can't pull it apart and understand why it's making a decision, no, will trust it. And people are now just getting to the point of being able to kind of figure out how to do all that.
0: Wow. Love that. All right. So where can people find you? Where can they find out more about CaliberMind? And then we'll wrap it up.
1: I mean, uh, CaliberMind.com. We're all over LinkedIn typically, um, you know, or anyone wants to, they can email me. I'm just eWestercamp at CaliberMind.com and WesterCamp with a K.
0: Excellent, man. Well, I really appreciate you being on the show. It was uh, awesome hearing your perspective and the trends and what's kind of happening. I think you guys have a really cool product as well. Um, so thanks for being on, Eric. I appreciate it.
1: Yeah, Ryan, it's a pleasure being here. Thank you.
0: All right, we'll see you all in the next episode. Thank you for checking out the scale up show. My mission in life is to help founders and revenue leaders avoid all the pain and suffering